Well, say good morning. Let's uh, let's begin. We're starting today's daf is Lamazang. We're starting from the first line on Lamazang Lamadalif. So it says the Gemara Uminayin Shabana. So if you remember again, the Mishnah. Oh, think our shir this morning is sponsored by Alan and Sumairowitz for the commemoration of the yard site of Mindel Funeral Sue's mother, Mindel Bas Shlomo Todris, and we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, her Nisham will have an aliyah. And thank you for the sponsorship. Okay, so we'll say, so remember, we ta- we're picking up, first off, very special thank you to Ari, of course, for the breakfast and for the coffee, so you know that it's an avoda to produce this coffee, and Baruch Hashem, we're up to a second. Ari, do we have plans for the third, for the third coffee? Come down from Shemai. Thought it's Machlokis, no? About the third coffee? No, that's a very, really a special thank you to Ari for always providing us with such good physical nourishment for the morning. I don't know if it's healthy, but at least it's, at least it's good. Okay, so I'll say, so we begin dap, top of Daf Lamed Zayin Aleph. So if you remember again, the previous Mishnah spoke about the Vidui, the confession of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. So now the Gemara is talking about the idea, or the Mishnah says, This is what the Kohen Gadol used to say, So in yesterday's Daf, we already spoke about the order of the Mishnah, because the Mishnah has it Remember, an avon is an intentional or willful avera. A pesha is a rebellious avera. A chatos is a shogeg avera, unintentional. So already saw yesterday in the Gemara that the Zaman Damru holds that the order is actually switched. That in reality it's chatos, avon, and pesha. But be that as it may, the Gemara begins on top of Lamed Zayin by saying, Uminayin Sheba Ana. How do we know that Lemaisa, the Kohen Gadol, uses the Lashon of Ana? Ana means please. Now, what exactly please means in the context of Vidui, what exactly we're asking for, if Salavichik has an extensive discussion about this, and Rav explains that the honor is please HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hear me out. Because ultimately, again, really one would think that after the commission of sin, one has abdicated or lost their ability to be heard by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Kohen Gadol says, Oh no, please HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hear me out, listen to me, and allow me to, allow me another chance. So how do we know that, how do we know that the Vidui has honor in it? So the Torah uses over here by Yom Kippur, the Lashon of Kapara Atonement, and the Torah uses the Lashon by, by Har Sinai of Kapara as well. If you look at Rashi, mm-hmm. So this is again after the sin of the Golden Calf, Moshe Ravinu says to Klal Yisrael, I will dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and maybe I will be able to atone for you. So you find the word Kapara by Yom Kippur and by Chete Egel. Malahalan ba'ana, just like by, by the Chete Egel. Moshe Avini uses the Lashon of Ana. Look at Rashi. Malahalan ba'ana, Ana, Chata Ha'am Hazer, Afkan ba'ana. So to by Yom Kippur, we go ahead and use the word Ana. So essentially, what the Gemara is doing is making a Gzair Shava between Yom Kippur and Chete Egel, and to say that just as Moshe Avinu supplicated before the Rebbe Moshe with the Lashon of Ana, so to the Kohen Gadol, use Lashon of Ana by Yom Kippur as well. So the Gemara goes on, Afkan Ana, Uminayin Shebeshen. So remember, the Kohen, Kohen Gadol doesn't just say Ana, he says Ana Hashem. So where do we know that he uses the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Ne'emar Kan Kapara. It says over here, by Yom Kippur Kapara. Ve'ne'emra Be'egla Arufa Kapara. And it says by Egla Arufa, I also remember again, Egla Arufa, we actually spoke about this in our, in our afternoon shir yesterday. Egla Arufa is the interesting case where the Torah brings down the idea that if you find a person murdered in between two cities and you don't know who murdered the individual, you measure the closest city to the corpse, the elders of that city come out, they go to a dry riverbed, they decapitate a calf, the elders go ahead and wash their hands over the decapitated calf and they say, Our our hands have not spilled this blood. So the Gemara says, it says by Egla Arufa, so it says by Yom Kippur Kapara, and it says by Egla Arufa Kapara. Look at Rashi, by Egla Arufa. Kaper la'amcho Yisrael asher padisa, malahalon b'shem. So just like by Egla Arufa. So the word, so the, the, the formulation that's used is, Kaper no, excuse me, Kaper la'amcho Yisrael asher padisa Hashem, afkan b'shem. So to buy the video of Yom Kippur, we also use the Shem Hashem. So, we'll say, so essentially what we're doing over here is Yom Kippur has a, has a two-directional Gzair Shava. It has a Gzair Shava to Har Sinai and a Gzair Shava to Egla Arufa. The Gzair Shava to Har Sinai is what allows us to understand that we use the Lashon of Ana. And the Gzair Shava to Egla Arufa teaches us Shem, Shem Hashem. So the Gemara says, Amra Baye, 
Here's what's interesting. So now, now essentially what we have is, we have kind of Yom Kippur in the middle, Yom Kippur in the middle, and going in one direction, Kapara Kapara to Har Sinai Chit and Kapara Kapara to Egla Arufa. So the Gemara says, So I understand that you can't learn out, you can't go ahead and say, that maybe I hate Ego, Moshe also used Shem Hashem, and we can go ahead and learn that out from Egla Arufa. Why? Because you can't go ahead and learn out, you can't learn out Chete Ego from another event. Why? My Dahava Hava. My Dahava means what happened, happened. Meaning, Moshe Rabbeinu did what he did. You can't learn out that Moshe Rabbeinu did or did not do from another episode in the Torah because what Moshe Rabbeinu did is explicitly written in the Torah. However, Ela Egla Arufa Telef Mechorev. But why don't we learn out Egla Arufa from Harsin? Literally, Mechorev is Harsin, but it means over Chete Egel. And say that Lemaisa, and say that Lemaisa, you should have to say Ana by Egla Arufa as well. Just like they did by Chete Egel. So the Gemara says, Maybe you'll say, Enochinami. That maybe by Egla Rufa, you should, the, the Zikain and the elders who come out, should use the word Ana in their confession. I, but that's not true. We learn, Hakohanim Omrim, Kaper Amcha Yisrael. The formulation of the Kohanim is explicit that the Kohanim say, Atone for your nation of Israel. And yet, what? They don't say Ana. Despite the fact that what Rabbi was saying, Despite the fact that you could have made a gzeir shava of kapara kapara from egla arufa or kaper kaper from egla arufa to what to cheta egel and would have told us that we should use the formulation of ana, but yet we clearly see we clearly see that they don't use the word ana. To which the gemara says kasha. It's a good question. Fine, weiter. Vehem onin achron. So, so says the Mishnah, the Mishnah stated that when the coin goes ahead and, and says this formulation, so remember, they would, they would respond to him, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso Liolam Ba'ad. Now, we'll, say, we'll get into this more later on in the Masechta, where the Masechta will go into the fact of why this was the answer, why, meaning they didn't say, Amen, they said, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso Liolam Ba'ad. We'll, so there's going to be a whole dedicated sugya to this, but right now the Gemara just discusses it kind of tangentially, so the Gemara says, where do we know this concept from? What he, what he, now, here's what the Mishnah highlights. What the Mishnah is essentially saying is, when the Kohen says something, so ultimately there is some kind of response. So, for example, the Kohen, the Kohen Godel says, Ana Hashem kaperna la'avonos, la'pshoim, la'chatoim, sh'avisi, sh'pashati, v'sh'chatasi, v'fanechani, obeisi. And then he quotes the Pasuk, Ki bayom hazeh yechapar aleichem letaris chemikol chatos, echem lefnei Hashem titaru. And everyone else answers, so the Gemara says, where do you know this concept that when, that when the coin, or for that matter when anyone, mentions the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there needs to be some kind of response from the listeners? So the Gemara says, Tanya Rebbe, Omer Rebbe says, Ki ekra, It's based on the Pasuk Abbasai that Moshe Rabbeinu says, when I go ahead and call out the name of God, you should, you should give or you should ascribe greatness to our God. What does that mean? Amr lehem Moshe li Yisrael. Moshe when he says to Kala Yisrael, B'sha'ashani maskir shmoshe la'kadosh baruchu. When I mention the name of God, Atem yu havugod aleilokeinu. So meaning, the way that, the way that Rebbe understands the Pasuk over here is Moshe when is making a two-part statement. When I say the name of God, you, listeners, havugod aleilokeinu. When the Jew hears the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu mentioned, then what? The Jew is moved to respond. The Jew cannot just listen passively to the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He has to respond in some way. Chananya ben Achi Rabbi Yoshua Omer. Chananya, the son of the brother Rabbi Yoshua says, Zecher Tzadik Lebrach. Rabbi said, this is amazing. So if you look over here, it's quoting over here the Pasuk from Mishlei. Zecher Tzadik Lebrach. The whole Pasuk is, Zecher Tzadik Lebrach means the memory of the Tzadik is a blessing. But the name of the wicked should rot. So says Yoshua, what does it mean? Zecher Tzadik Lebracha. Amr Lahem Novi the Yisrael, the Novi said to the Jewish people, in this case, Shlomo HaMelech, Bisha'ashani Maskir Tzadik Olamim. When I mention the right, the eternal righteous one, which is who? Which is the Ribono Shal Olam, Atem Tenu Bracha. So I will say, what's fascinating about this is we always assume that this Pasik is talking about who? 
is talking about well, it's not about dead people, yeah. but right. I guess I guess I was going to say dead mortal people, which usually go hand in hand. <laughs> hey, so, so meaning we normally assume that this is referring to ultimately human righteous individuals, right? Mortal righteous individuals. And Zechun, we remember there. Say so here, a fascinating drasha that Yeshua says it's not what it means. What excuse me, Yoshchananya says what does it mean? It means that when I mention Sadik Olamin. When I mention the eternal tzaddik, the ribono shel olam, atem tenu bracha. You listeners must go ahead and give some kind of bracha. This was the makar ultimately for the fact that whenever there was a mentioning of the shem Hashem in the Beis HaMikdash, the response always was, Baruch Shem Kivod Mahuso Liolam Va'ed. And it's based on this idea, both from Moshe Rabbeinu and Shlomo HaMelech, that whenever there is a recitation or an articulation of the Ribbono Shal Olam's name, there must be some kind of response from the listener. Uh, we learn, we use this passage for a lot of things, for, res- for responsivity. Is that a word? This down. Good, excellent. Somebody, somebody taking these down, by the way? Somebody writing down these words? Joyce is responsivity. Classroom. Should we have Daphne Olu? We could sell this. We could do this. Okay. Does that account for both Amin and Baruch Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll get into later on, so yes, to where we went from Baruch Shem Kival Mahuso, the Olam Ba'ed, to Amin and Baruch Hubrochshima. We'll get to that later. New Mishnah. Balo le Mizrach Hazara. So I'll say now, very interesting. So now remember, we're going forward, we're going forward in the Avodah. So the Kohen Gadol now comes to the east of the Azara, <coughs> to the north of the Mizbeach. So again, if you, have your, if you have your sheets here with you, I'm just going to be using this one. So remember, j- just to orient ourselves as to where we are now, so we're coming to the east of the Azara. So remember again, the east of the Azara to the north of the Mizbeach, which would be, well, say, if you're looking on this sheet over here, so the east of the Azara to the north of the Mizbech would essentially be right over here. It would be right over here. Right? Again, it would be the area pretty much in between, although he's not standing right in between there, but between the Mizbech, between the Mizbech, and if you'll notice those half circles there, we'll get into that later on, those are the rings. Those are the rings that ultimately kept the animal in place for Shechita, which will actually be our next Mishnah. So we're talking now the coin is in between the Mizbech and the rings. He's, now again, I want to be clear. He's not standing in this, actually standing in this space over here. He's standing further back in this space over here. So, <laughs> so he comes to the east of the Azara, to the north of the Mizbeach, to the north of the Mizbeach. And what happens? Hasgan miyamino virosh base av mismolo. So the Skan, remember who is the assistant coin Godel, is on his right. And the Rosh Besav, now what's the Rosh Besav? Rosh base Av is the head of the particular, remember, the, the Kohanim were split up into 24 Mishmoros, 24 watches. And each watch served a different week in the Beis HaMikdash, and each watch was made up of multiple Bate Avos. Bate Avos are Kohanic families. Each Kohanic family was, was, was assigned a particular day. So what the, Gemara, the Mishnah is saying over here is the head, of the head family of that particular day stood on the left of the Kohen Gadol. And there were two goats there, two identical goats. And again, we'll discuss, we'll, we'll, we're going to get a whole parak devoted to the goat offerings. We'll say, Kalfi is a box. is a box, and it was a box that we'll see would hold lots. And there were two lots. Gora literally means like a... I don't know if lot is the right word. Let's say if you go ahead today and you go to the Temple Institute in the old city, they actually recreated these lots. It's amazing. It's amazing. The box is there and it's ready. It's ready to be used. The box is there. The gorolos are there. It's interesting. Actually, in the version that they made in the Temple Institute, and again, because there's so much machlokis about it, these, well, let's, let's actually read the Mishnah first. So the two lots were there, and the lots themselves were made. Ashkaroa literally means boxwood. Boxwood, type of wood. The Asan Ben Gamla Shalzav, but Ben Gamla came along later on, and Ben Gamla made them out of gold. And they used to praise Ben Gamla for the fact that he took the wooden, he, you know, he, he donated essentially golden lots to the Beis HaMikdash. Now, when, once the Mishnah mentioned this, so the Mishnah brings in, I will say again, the Mishnah doesn't hate, say it here explicitly, but we'll see it later on. One of those lots said La Hashem, and one of those lots said La Azazel. Because remember, these two identical goats, one was offered up on the Mizbeach, and one was pushed off a cliff. So, 
we'll see the Kohen Gadol would actually draw the lots for each of the goats. So now once the Mishnah mentions the fact that Ben Gamla made or remade these lots out of gold, so the Mishnah discusses a couple of other contributions to the Beis HaMikdash. Ben Katen, Asa Yud Beis Dad Likir. Bose, if you remember again, we actually learned this earlier, Ben Katen, who Rashi points out himself was a Kohen Gadol, made, made a kiyar with 12 spigots. Now remember again, we spoke about this earlier, 12 faucets. Originally, it only had two. Why did Ben Katen make it out of 12? Because remember, 12 is significant. Why? 12 represents, I don't remember, the number of Kohanim necessary for, excellent, for the carbon Tamid. So ben, so ben Katen wanted to make sure that all of the Kohanim who would be needed for the Tamid would be able to do Kiddush Adai Raglaim at once. See, I'm sorry? He may not have liked lines, right? It's, it's, it's efficient. It's efficient. Otherwise, it's going to be a you know breakaway based on mikdash. You know things go a little too long. So 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 the gemara. So he says, Elishem asar va'afu asa muchni lekiyar. Now Ben Katan also made another very interesting thing. He made a muchni. Now muchni. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says muchni mefarish be gemara galgal lishakoa bo bebar shahayu meimav michubar lemeimav hakiyar ve'ilo havu mifsili belina. Also, listen to this. I'll show you a picture of this, actually. This one I have a good picture of. Um, here is the cure. Yep. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, wow. Right? So now here is the cure. And you can see over here the 12 spigots of Ben Katin. Now here's the issue. The issue is that the cure is considered to be a klisharis. It's considered to be a sanctified utensil. Anything that goes into a klisharis cannot sit overnight. If it sits, anything, and this doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's flour. It doesn't matter if it's wine. If it sits in it overnight, it becomes puzzle belino. Lina means sitting overnight. So Ben Cotton had this interesting idea that what did he do? He contracted essentially a police system. It's literally called a windlass. A windlass. So what he, it's a pulley system. So what he did over here is the kiar, the kiar could essentially be lifted and turned and lowered into this. This was a spring. This was spring water over here. Be lowered into the water. By lowering it into the water, it connected the water in the kiar with the water in the spring which then made it as if, so by connecting those waters, it prevented the waters from becoming puzzle balina, through sitting overnight. We'll discuss the mechanics of that a little bit more later on, but that's what Ben Cotton did. So Ben Cotton was one who literally, Ben Cotton, he made the spigots, but he also made this whole contraption around the cure as well. That's why I both say, if you'll notice, if you'll notice even on your picture over here, if you'll notice on your picture, so over here, by, by the Mizbeach, if you're, if you're looking right at the Mizbeach, you'll notice too, to the right of the Mizbeach, to the right of the Mizbeach, you'll notice again there's a kior, and then right next to it is this thing called bor over a kior. So this was like a mikvah, so to speak. Nobody used it actually, but it was like a spring. So that's what the kior was ultimately lowered into. So the Gemara goes on. The Gemara goes on. I'm sorry? The point was to. Correct, correct. You don't have to empty out and refill the kir every single day. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, Munvas. I will say, Munvas Hamelech. What did Munvas do? Now, King Munvas, there's a lot of historical debate as to who exactly King, King Munvas was. So some say he was actually one of the Hashmonai kings, which is interesting. Others say he wasn't a Hashmonai king, but either he in fact was a grandson of Herod. Grandson of Herod. There are other historical accounts where there's a lot of ambiguity surrounding him. What we know is he was a good guy. So the Mishnah says, Munvaz took all the utensils of Yom Kippur and he made them, he, co- he coated them with gold. Heloni Imo, Heloni Amakar, I will say, you know, Heloni, his mother, is also, again, obviously, the same historical ambiguity that surrounds Munvaz, surrounds his mother. His mother is mentioned a number of times throughout Shas, most notably that the Tamdi Chachamim of the generation would go to visit his mother on Sukkis. Right? There was a whole discussion about Heloni Amaka. The Yemar has a whole discussion about women being obligated in Sukkah. 
and they called it Haley and Yamalka, used to stay in the sukkah. So his mother, oh, they're, they're, uh, they were very righteous people. So his mother, Haley, and he listened to this. Menachem, I don't know if you have a picture of this in any of your books. I don't have a picture of this in my Gemara. So, so she made Nivreshes Shalzav. If you look at Rashi, he translates it as Menorah. Now, Menorah here doesn't mean a Menorah, but rather it means almost like a chandelier. She made like a chandelier for the entranceway of the Beis Hamikdash. The Domino, the Sefer, the Kabbal, the Rashida. So listen to this. We're going to see, but what we're interested about the chandelier is it was illuminated by the sunlight. We'll see exactly how this worked. So we'll see, Nivreshes could really mean one of two things. It could mean an actual like chandelier that was suspended by the entranceway. Rashi says of the, of the Heichal, or the Gemara says of the Heichal, or what we'll actually see is it could actually mean a gold plate that was put across the entranceway of the Heichal. We'll see why either one could work. Va'afi She also made another golden plate. Sheparsha's Sota Ksuva Aleha. That Parsha Sota was written on. Now, again, I also remember, we know the Isha Sota is someone who's suspected of adultery. So there's an entire process. There's an entire process that she has to undergo. And part of the process is the Kohen Godel writes, the Kohen, not Kohen Godel, writes the Parsha of Sota on a piece of parchment, immerses that piece of parchment in water, dissolves it in water, and the Isha must drink that water. So Rashi points out over here that what did Helen Yamalka do? She says, She parshas sota ksuva leha, v'lo yitztarech lahavi Torah, lichtov mimena megillah sota v'mikdash. So Helen Yamalka said, you know, we shouldn't have to take out an entire Torah for the coin to copy down the parsha of sota. So what did she do? She made a golden tablet with the parsha of sota written on it. Therefore, what could the coin do? Coin could just take out that tablet instead of taking out an entire safer and copy off that tablet, the parasha of Sota. The Mishnah ends off by saying, Nikanor asau nisim ladal sosav, vahimaskirin osom l'shvach. Nikanor, we will discuss, Nikanor had certain had miracles that occurred to the doors that he donated to the Beis HaMikdash, <coughs> and they used to remember him in a very praiseworthy fashion. We'll get to his story tomorrow. So, Says so, the Gimara. All of the, so everybody was, uh, was, uh, bizchut, was, uh, Mishvach. Yeah. Right. This is plural, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So the Gemara says the following. So the Gemara says like this. Now going back to the original statement in the Mishnah, where the Mishnah said that the coin came to the east of the Azara, to the north of the Mizbeach. Now, the way the Gemara actually understands that is, what it actually means is north of the Mizbeach, which means, Michlal the Mizbeach lav b'tzafon koi that the Mizbeach was not in the northern part of the Beis HaMikdash at all. You know, also when we say northern part, what we mean over here is the following. If you imagine a, you know, a line that, that goes across really from what we'll say from east to west, east to west, so then what we would say is that the Mizbeach was not at all on the northern side of that line. It was only fully on the southern side of that line. So who's the pain? Does this reflect money? Rabbi Lezer ben Yosihi. Rabbi Lezer ben Yehuda. Ben Yaakov? Yaakov, okay, Rabbi Elzer ben Yaakov, thank you. So Rabbi Elzer ben Yaakov, this Sanya, Safona lifnei Hashem, the Pasuk says that it will be in the north before Hashem, and the Gemara Darshans, Sheyehei Tzafon Kula Panu, Dever Rabbi Elzer ben Yaakov. Rabbi Elzer ben Yaakov's opinion about say is that the north must be totally empty of Mizbeach. In fact, if you look at your picture, you can actually see that it's arranged this way, because if you look over here, you can draw a direct line. I mean, this is not drawn exactly to scale, but if you can, but it's pretty close. But if you can imagine, if you were to draw your line, remember, you have Mizrach and <coughs> this is Mizrach, this is Marov. So you have east, you have west. If you were to draw your line straight across from Mizrach to Marov, you will notice again that the Mizbeach is totally on the southern side and not really on the northern side. So the Gemara says that's reflective of the view of Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov. So the Gemara says, I but one second, but if that's the case, Reisha, Rebbe Lazar ben Shimini. So the Reisha, I will say what the Gemara calls the Reisha is the Reisha is the previous Mishnah. Now if you remember again, the previous Mishnah was speaking about, uh, the previous Mishnah was speaking about the fact that the coin came to his par and he would stand bein ha'ulam v'lamizbeach. He would stand in between, in between the ulam and the mizbeach. In between, shh, in between the antechamber and the mizbeach. Now again, here's the issue. Based on what we just said before, if he's standing between the ulam and the mizbeach, 
So that would mean ultimately again, that would mean ultimately again that the Mizbeach is opposite the Ulam as well. Because remember, we know he's not standing directly. When we say Bena Ulam Mizbeach, he's not standing in the middle of the Ulam, but we know he's standing over here. And, it, and yet it says that what? That it's still opposite the Mizbeach, which would mean what? That the Mizbeach would seem to extend into the northern part of the Mikdash, to which the Gemara says it's not a Kasha. Why? Kulur Abelazar Ben Yaakovi. Rather, what it actually means is that the coin was actually standing northwest of the Mizbeach. I will say, where the coin was actually standing with his cow, with his ox, was actually over here, was actually right by these steps. So it's opposite the Ulam, but not the entranceway of the Ulam. See, he was standing again towards the northern part of the steps, opposite of the Mizbeach, but not actually corresponding to the Mizbeach, meaning the area that he was standing was already past the Mizbeach because it was already in the northern part. That's what it means, Beina Ulam. So if you can imagine these steps over here, Beina Ulam the Mizbeach. But the Mizbeach was not actually opposite him. He was actually northwest of the Mizbeach. So the Gemara goes weiter. Amirav, Haskan Biamino of Rosh Abismolo. The assistant coin Godel. The assistant coin Godel stands on his right. I'll take it, please take, take. The, the assistant coin Godel stands on his right. The assistant coin Godel stands on his right. And the Rosh base Av, the Rosh base Av is on his left. So it says, so the Gemara says, Amar Rav Yehuda, Hamahalech liyamin Rabo, Hareze Bor. If somebody walks on the right side of his Rebbe, he's a Bor. Now we'll say, what does a Bor mean? So it's one of those interesting words, it means a Bor, right? Uh, same, same English and Hebrew. He's empty, he's empty. Bor, bor literally means a pit. He's empty, he's an empty individual. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Rabbi Hareze Bor, Afilu Bederech Eretz Eino Baki. I will say it's interesting over here. When do you call a person a bar? You see, if somebody doesn't know Torah, we call him an Ama Oretz. But we assume that even if somebody doesn't know Torah, a person still has a basic understanding of Derech Eretz. Right? So if somebody doesn't know Torah, doesn't know Derech Eretz, that's a bar. So to walk on the right side of your Rebbe, which clearly the Gemara says is a terrible sign of disrespect, that's a bar. I but the Gemara says, one second. Tanan hasgan biyamino. But one second. But the Mishnah explicitly says that where is the Skan Kohen Gadol? Where is the Assistant Kohen Gadol standing? Standing on the right of the Kohen Gadol. Now, again, I'll say, remember, when we speak about the idea of, of Rabbo, so of course, the, the, actually, with the Gemara's quoting, or Rabbi Huda's quoting, is Mamish your Rabbi. Is Mamish your Rabbi. But the truth is, we could easily extrapolate that to also refer to anyone greater than you. So I, but the Skan Kohen Gadol, Skan is standing on the right of the Kohen Gadol, to which the Gemara says, but oh, furthermore, we learned. If there are three people walking on the road, so how should they walk? Now again, the, the assumption over here is, let's say it's a Rebbe with his Talmidim. So how should they walk? So the Gemara says, the Raisa says, The Rebbe should walk in the middle. The greater of the two students should be on the right. The katan mismolo, and the smallest of the three should walk on, not smallest in stature, should go ahead and, should go ahead and walk on the left. Where do we see this from? We see this from the three Malachi Asharis, Shabau Eitzel Avram, that came to visit Avram Avinu. And how did they come? So, based on the Gemara's quoting, I don't know what the Gemara's source for this is, but the Gemara says, Michal Be'emsa, Michal was the greatest of the Malachi Asharis, was walking in the middle. Gavriel Bimino, Gavriel, who was next in line of greatness on his right, or Rafael Bismolo, and Rafael was walking on his left. So we'll say, look at Rashi for just a moment. They should not walk one after the other, but rather they should walk in a row, meaning across from each other. Rashi points out, where do we learn this from? The fact that the Pasuk says that the Malachim were Nitzavim Alav. Nitzavim Alav means that they were all standing opposite Avram Avinu at once, which means that they were all standing side by side. And the Gemara understands it was Michal in the middle, Gavriel on the right, Raphael on the left. So what's the Avakasha? Because again, Rabbi Huda began by saying that if you walk on the right of your Rebbe, you're a boar. And yet here we're seeing that again, actually the proper way to walk is on the side of your Rebbe. So what's the Pshat? To which the Gemara says, Targuma, Targuma, Rav, Rav Shmuel Bar Papa, Kamei Rav Ada, how should you walk? You should walk in a way that covers your Rebbe. What does that mean? Look at Rashi, first wide line. When we say that you should walk to the right of your Rebbe, it doesn't mean you should walk literally next to him. 
Rather, what it means is you should walk behind him. Umiu gadol yomin v'katan l'tzad small eitzel gedolim eitzel gadol ushtem achori harav mamish. Oh, so you're not walking by your rebbe's side. Where are you walking? You're walking behind your rebbe. But the greater, excuse me, the greater talmud should walk behind right, and the smaller talmud should walk behind left. I bet the gemara says one second. Ma'atanya hamahalech kineged rabo harei zebor. If you walk literally shoulder to shoulder with your rebbe, you're a bar. Achori rabo harei zemegase ruach. And if you walk behind your Rebbe, you're arrogant. And I will say, so, so, so <laughs> this is Judaism, by the way. This is the way it works, right? right where, where are you supposed to walk? So the idea is walking, because the idea is great people, great people are, often have like an entourage. And so the entourage walks in front of them. So if you walk behind your Rebbe, you make it look like your Rebbe, you know, is part of your entourage. So you can't walk shoulder, you can't walk side by side because that's a bore. You can't walk behind it because that's arrogant. So what should you do? To which the Gemara says, you can't walk literally side by side and not exactly behind. You know what it means? Essentially, diagonal. You walk in a diagonal really by your Rebbe. So, diagonal behind. Diagonal behind. So what you have over here is you have essentially not walking side by side but you're not walking directly in back either. So if you walk a diagonal behind, this way again, that's the great, that's the way that a Talmud walks with a Rebbe. Okay, so the Gemara goes weiter. Vikalfi haisasham ubashne gorados. So remember again, the Mishnah said they had a box, the Kohen Gogol had a box. So we're gonna have pictures tomorrow, by the way, of, of walking sequences. So, so, so the Mishnah says that what happens, they had a box, and in the box there were lots. There were lots. And the coin Gadol, the coin Gadol would draw the lots for the two Sirim. Says the Gemara, Tara Abonon, Vinoson Aaron Ashnea Sirim Gorolos. Torah says that Aaron will put on both of the goats Gorolos, lots. So the Gemara says, Gorolos Shokol Dover. So the lots themselves could be made out of any material. Any material. So the Gemara says, Yochol Yitin Shnaim Alzev Shnaim Alzev. I might have thought that I should draw two lots for this one, two lots for that one. So what the Gemara is picking up on is the following. The, the way the Pasuk is worded is, it says, goralos. So the Gemara is saying, if you wanted to be a literalist, what can you say? What does it mean? That you draw two lots for each goat. I, you'll say to yourself, what's the point of drawing two lots for each goat? What that essentially would do is you would draw two lots. So let's say again, obviously if each lot comes out la Hashem or each lot comes out la Azazel, that's easy. What happens if you're drawing two lots and one comes out la Hashem, one comes out la Azazel, what do you do in that case? That's the discretion of the coin Gadol. But maybe the Gzer Sakasev is, you're actually supposed to draw two lots for each animal. Talmud Lomar, Goral Echad La Hashem, Vigoral Echad La Therefore the Pasuk says, and the Pasuk goes back and says, one lot for Hashem, one lot for Azazel. Ein kan elav, ein kan elav, excuse me, ein kan l'shem elav goral echad, ve'ein kan l'azazel elav goral echad. Only one lot l'ashem, only one lot l'azazel. Bless you. Yochel yitin shel shem v'shel azazel azeh, v'shel shem v'shel azazel azeh. I'm going to thought maybe, again, but we still have the plural goralos. Maybe it means one goral l'ashem for this one, one goral l'azazel for this one, and one goral l'ashem for this one, one goral l'azazel for this one. And then again, it comes back to the discretion of the coin gadol to choose what he want, which one for which. Ta'amun lomar, goral echad. Goral echad l'ashem. In kan l'ashem ele echad, ve in kan l'azazel ele echad. In kain, ma Talmud lomar goralos. So it's like, what the Gemara now is saying is, okay, so what's going on over here? Because the text itself is confusing. Because on one hand, it says, which again, <coughs> literally means that each goat should get gorolos. That each goat should really get lots, plural. But yet the Pasuk itself says, so how do I reconcile those two things? So I mean, well, actually, I should say it differently. So now, now that we establish that there's only going to be one lot drawn per animal, so the question we have to ask ourselves is what? So why does the Torah phrase, and in the plural, why does it say, son Aaron Seirim Gorolos? Why plural? To which the Gemara says, Sheyehu Shavin. The idea is that the lots themselves must be exactly identical. Shalom Yasa Echad Shal Zav Echad Shal Kasav. 
Echad Gadol Echad Katan. You can't make one of them out of gold and one of them out of silver or one of them large, one of them small. They have to be exactly the same. So what essentially what the Gemara says now is the plural or the plurality. Plurality. Two in one day, by the way. Right? The plurality of the Pasuk ultimately highlights the idea that the two lots have to be the same, but it's only one lot per animal. To which the Gemara goes on and says, Goralos shall call dovers. Goralos shall call dovers. Remember, the Bryce has said before that the lot itself can be made out of any material. Pshita. That's obvious. To which the Gemara says, Lo tzricha No, it's necessary for the following idea. Remember, the only other thing in the base of English we have that has the name of God written on it is the tzitz. And the tzitz, remember, that's the, that's the forehead plate of the Kohen Gadol, and the tzitz must be made of gold. I might have thought, Yochol af zekein, I might have thought that since for both sides, the Goral, at least one of them, has the name of Hashem written on it, they should also have to be made of gold. Therefore, Talmud Lomar, Goral, Goral. Reba shall, Reba shall Zayis, Reba shall Ogos, Reba shall Eshkaroa. So I'm say, therefore, again, it says Goral, Goral more than once to teach us what? You can make these lots out of anything you want, as long as they're the same. So you have full discretion as to what you make it out of, but whatever you choose for one, the other must be identical. Ben Katin, Asa, Shneim Asar Dadlikior. So Ben Katin, remember, made 12 spigots for the Tzikior, for the sink, for the Kiddushan of Raglaim. Tana, Kiddush Yushneim Asar Echav HaKonim HaOskin Betamin, Mikachinim Raglaim Bevasachas. Why did he do this? In order that the twelve Kohanim who are part of the Avodah for the carbon tamin should be able to do their Kiddush Raglaim at once. Tana, Shachris Bimiluo, Mikadisha excuse me, Shachris, in the morning, Bimiluo, when the Kior itself was filled with water, Bimiluo, Mikadish Yadavaraglav Mina Elyon. They would go ahead and do Kiddushan Raglaim from the upper spigot. So apparently, what the Gemara is quoting over here, and we'll actually discuss this more later on, is there were two sets of spigots. There were higher spigots and lower spigots. So in the morning, when the Kior was full, they would use the upper spigots. In the evening, Arvis, Biridaso, they kailed each other of Minatachton. That came evening already when what? When much of the water was already used up, they would use the lower set of spigots. Okay. It says here that this is referring back to the one where it says originally they had one two. and two. Right. So we'll see later on. We'll see later on that in fact it seems to be even by Ben Cotton's one they also had two sets of spigots. Okay. Because in the picture you showed just the twelve. It only is twelve. Right. Right. So actually there were twenty-four. We'll see it later on in the Gemara. We'll see it later on in the Gemara. I'm sorry. From the top. Yeah. Well, well, that pulley dropped it down. Good. All right. So we'll say again. So just to finish off that sugya, again, as Hillel mentioned, Pashup Shat and that sugya is that's referring to the pre Ben Cotton Kior, in which case, again, the two, because everybody, that one had two spigots, in which case there was one on top and one below. We'll see, again, what happened with the Ben Cotton Kior. If the, because, again, as mentioned, these pictures that I showed you only had one set of 12 spigots, and those were along the bottom, which, of course, would then alleviate this entire issue as well. Because, obviously, after the bottom, even as the day goes on, you'll still be able to do Kiddush Avrag line from it. But we'll see if Ben Cotton had upper spigots as well. We'll discuss that later. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, V'afu asa muchni the Kior. So remember, again, he also made a muchni. So the Gemara says, "My mochni, Amra Bai Gilgila Davi Mashkale." It was a wheel or a windlass that allowed the kier to be lowered down into that bar, into that pit of water, that mikvah of water, which again, as we mentioned before, when we explained the Mishnah, prevented the water in the kier from being disqualified through lina. Munvas, Mun I'm, I'm just not explaining it again because we did it in the Mishnah. Munvas Hamelef Asa Kol Yodos Hakelim. Remember again, the Mishnah said that Munvas made all of the utensils <laughs> of Yom Kippur. He made them of gold. He coated them with gold. So says the Gemara, says the Gemara, uh, so the Gemara says, actually, interesting idea. The Gemara says, all right, Munvaz, that's very nice, but no, why couldn't you make all of the kalim out of gold? Meaning, why are you just making the handles? If you're already doing the handles, why not coat the entire clean gold as well? To which the Gemara says, Amr Abaye, the Yados Sakinin. 
Because what are we talking about over here? What did Munvaz, when we say that Munvaz coated the handles of the kalim with gold, which kalim are we referring to over here? The knives. Rashi points out, You can't make a knife out of gold. Why is that? Interestingly enough, gold is malleable. Gold is malleable. And therefore, again, you cannot, there's a, there's, remember also, we'll see, actually, the says later on, when you shecht an animal, if you've ever seen shechita, by the way, you'll notice something very interesting. I don't have any pictures of that. But, uh, but if you, if, if you, have, if you ever notice it, that, that it's actually very hot. There's an incredible amount of heat that comes out, out of the animal when you go ahead and you shecht. So you have to use a type of metal that ultimately will really be impervious to the heat. If you made a knife out of gold, there's a concern that the gold would be malleable. If you have a malleable material that you're using for your knife, you can very easily invalidate the shrita. Therefore, the Gemara says, we're talking about over here the knives, and therefore Munvaz just coated the handles, not the actual blade itself. So Gemara says, Mesim, I'm going to raise the kasha. Afu asa kame kalim v'ogne kalim v'yados kalim v'yados sakinin shayom ha-kipurim shalzav. But I will say, look at this Braisa. The Braisa says that Munvaz made the base of the Kalim and the handles of the Kalim and the Yodos of the Kalim and the hands of the, and the, and the handles of the Sakin of Yom Kippur. Of Zav. I will say, what does this Braisa show? This Braisa enumerates the handles of the Kalim and the handles of the knives, which indicates that what? That it wasn't just the handles of the knives that Munvaz coated with gold, but it was the handles of all of the Kalim. In which case now, you know, as they say, Chazra Kashi we have the same Kashi that we had before, which is, for the, for the knives I understand, but at least for the other Kalim, why is he just coating the handles in gold? Why not coat the entire Kli in gold? To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Abaye, because of the Nargi Chatsini. Abaye says, what are the Kalim? That the, Mish, that the Bryce is referring to over here, it's talking about the axes and large knives. But also remember, we actually saw already in Psochim, in, Pas, in Psochim, right? Remember we had this? Remember the word that we used? The Magira. What's a Magira? <laughs> magira literally is a handsaw. But remember, you, when you, the knife is good for Shrita, but knife is not good for what? For chopping up the animal. Remember again, you don't take the carcass and just put it on his back. We already saw it. It's offered by limb. How do you dismember an animal? You need a... Right? I'm happy that nobody's answering this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten nervous if anybody shut off that answer. Right? You need a meat cleaver. You, you need like a large, you need like a saw, an axe. So the Gemara says, when the, the, the kalim that the Bryce is referring to over here are also these type of cutting instruments. Axes, large knives, where again, you can't make the actual blade out of gold. You can only make the handles out of gold. Therefore, again, what we're saying over here is that ben, uh, Munfaz, excuse me, made all of the handles of the cutting utensils out of gold because the blades themselves could not be fashioned out of gold. Similar again, Helani, Helani, his mother, made this Nivreshes Shalzav. So remember again, we saw already that there are two ways that you can understand this Nivreshes. Either literally it's a golden chandelier that was suspended right outside No. <laughs> no, I'll tell you why. This is the inside of the ulam. It's outside of the ulam. It's coating the bottom. See, it's outside. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. And I hope you kept the receipt. <laughs> All right. So it says... Uh, so, set, so again, remember, two possibilities, because remember, again, if you look back at the Mishnah, so the Mishnah already said, Nivreshes, Menorah, she made, she made this type of, so again, we translated it as a chandelier, a chandelier that would ultimately hang at the entranceway of the Heichal. So I will say, so there are two possibilities. Either, again, it's an actual, if you can imagine, like a golden chandelier that hangs down, or the other possibility is that it was just a beautiful plate of gold that was posted on top of the entranceway of the Heichal. Now, what would it do? So the Gemara says, Tana What happens? When the sun would rise, what would happen? Can you imagine how beautiful this was? The rays of the sun would reflect off this, off this nevreshes, off this candelabra, off this, not candelabra, off this chandelier, or I'll take that's what it has to be on the outside. Off, off this, off this plate, and it would tell everybody that it was Zman Kriyashma. 
So Gemara says, one second. Nesvei, hakori eshma shachris im anshe ma'amod. Va'anshim, I'm sorry. Nesvei, hakori eshma shachris im anshim mishmar va'anshim ma'amod. Lo yatsa. If you daven shema in the morning, in accordance with the people of the anshim mishmar or the anshim ma'amod. Now, say, who are these people? Look at Rashi for just a moment. So actually, not yet. Anshim mishmar refers to the kohanim who are on call. The particular kohanim who are doing the avodah. Anshim ma'amod. Remember, we had ma'amodos. So ma'amodos meant for karbonos sibor. For karbonos in general, karbonos have to have representation of their own <coughs> presence. So for example, a carbon sibor is a carbon on behalf of all, all Klal Yisrael. There were ma'amodos that were rotations of Yisraelim who would remain in the Beis HaMikdash throughout the week representing Klal Yisrael. So the Mishnah, the Rice says over here that if you daven Shema at the time when the Kohanim say in the morning, you're not Yosei. And if you daven Kriya Shema at the time that the Anshe Ma'amod daven it, you're not Yosei. Now why is that? Look at Rashi. Anshe Mishma Rashi says, Shakohanim Shavod Mutelas Lai Makdimen Likrosa Kodamayom Shemati Mashech Alein Ha'avod Aviyimnam Likroso. The Kohanim who were doing the Avod of the morning used to say Shema earlier, much earlier. Why? Because they were concerned that since they're going to be doing the avodah, they'd get caught up in the avodah, and what? They would miss Zman Kriyashma. On the other hand, Anshe Ma'amad Rashi says, Yisrava omdim b'shlichos ha-tzibor ala karban, shene'emar tishmur l'akrivli, b'nitza shiyam b'shmar ba'omna ha-karbanom, ha-chidar shabisifri, ma'achirin, Rashi says, likros ad klos avodah satamad. On the other hand, the Anshe Ma'amad would not say Kriyashma until when? Until the Tamid was done. Now again, it's still within the permitted time of Kriyashma, but remember, the Gemara is operating on the idea that when is the optimal time for Kriyashma? Sunrise. Sunrise, right? Actually, right before sunrise. Right? That, that, so if you, if you say Kriyashma like the Anshe Mishmar, Anshe Mishmar said it earlier, already by dawn, which technically you could be Yotze, but it's too early. Anshe Ma'amod would say after the Tamid, which again was still early enough in the morning, but post sunrise. <laughs> So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, because the people of the Mishmar say it early, and the Anshein Ma'amad would go ahead and say it. So also, so the question is over here, so then who exactly was this Nifresha's helping? Right? So again, remember, we say we had Helen Yamaka donates this beautiful golden chandelier for what purpose? To tell everybody <coughs> what time to say Kriyashma. What's the problem? Right? Nobody's using it, right? Because the Anshe Mishmar are saying Shema early. The Anshe Ma'amar are saying Shema late. So who's benefiting? Who's supposed to listen to how beautiful this is? Omer Abaye, Lishar Ama, Dibirushalayim. It was for everyone else in Yerushalayim. Now, Rashi qualifies this, and he says, Lishar Ama, Habayin Ba'azara, who Simon Lahodiyah Zman Kriyashma. I'll say anybody who would come into the courtyard would be able to see the exact moment of sunrise, Right, because they were able to see the light reflecting mm-hmm. off the beautiful chandelier of Helen Yamaka. Such a beautiful image. What else did she do? She donated a sota tablet. Now, what's a sota tablet? It's convenient. It's in the palm of your hand. <laughs> right. So, so, so what happens? So remember again, when they used to do the, the parsha sota, so the Kohen would have to take out a sefer Torah and he'd have to copy. He'd have to copy parsha sota from from. From the actual Torah. Helene Amalkot said that instead of having to do that, so they would go ahead and she made a little tablet with Parsha Sultan. He could just copy it right off of that. So the Gemara says, Shamis Mina Kosvin Megillah Latinok Learn out from here. So we'll say, Rashi quotes over here that there's a fundamental machlokas in, I think he quotes, I think he quotes Gin. Yeshvamina Plutivim Sechis Gin Parakanizakin. There's machlokis as to whether or not you are permitted to write down sections of the Torah. Just sections of the Torah. So let's say I want to copy down my bar mitzvah parish or a particular parish. I want to say a section. Am I permitted to write one section of the Torah without writing a complete sefer? It's based on a fundamental machlokis as to how the Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, which is a machlokis that's originally written in Seches Megillah. The machlokis is that the, one opinion says the Torah Megillah Megillah Nitna, that it was given piece by piece, literally as the episode occurred, Moshe Rabbeinu compiled it. Or the other opinion says, no, Moshe Rabbeinu was given the entire Torah at the end of his life, and he wrote down the entire Torah as one unit. What's the nafkamina? 
The Nafkamini would be that if Moshe Rabbeinu was given the Torah Megillah Megillah, he was given it piece by piece, then what? Right. Then you could record portions of the Torah. On the other hand, if you say the Torah was given as a complete entity, a complete unit, then perhaps you're not permitted to record it piecemeal. So the Gemara says, you see from here from the fact that they recorded Parsha Sota as what? As just a Megillah, that's what? As just Parsha Sota, that you can write sections of the Torah. To which the Gemara says, Amr Lakish, Mishum Rabbi Yanai. No, not necessarily, Ba'alif Beis. Well, so what does Aleph Beis mean? Aleph Beis means they didn't write out the entire Parsha Sota. What did Heleni Amalka do? She kind of wrote, you know, the first letter of each Pasuk. The first letter of each Pasuk. So the idea is that this way the coin, got, the coin doesn't have to remember the, the entire Parsha. All he needs to do is what? Just remember, just to jog his memory. Mesev, Marizikasha, Kishu Kosev, Roe, excuse me, Kishu Kosev, Roe, Vakosev, Masha Kasevatavla. But yet again, the Braissa writes, that what? How would the coin write Parsha Sota? He would look at the tablo and he would see what was written there and he would write it, which indicates what? That the Lamaisa was fully written. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Ima roe v'kosev kemash tablo. No, rather say, he would see and he would write like what was written in the tablet. It doesn't literally mean that everything was written in the tablet. What he means is he would look at the tablet, the tablet would jog his memory, and then afterwards he would go ahead and write the Parsha Sota. Nesveh. So the Bryce again says when he, when he would write the Parsha Sota, he would look what was written in the tablet and he would write that. And what was written? So what do you see from here? You see from here that it appears what? That the Parsha was mamish written, was mamish written on the tablet. To which the Yumara says, no, no, no. Hasam to top of Lamed Ches. What does it mean, Hassan B'Serigin? It means that really, Serigin literally means alternating. What it means is, you're right, it wasn't just Aladdin's. What did they have? They had the first phrase of each Pasuk written on the Tavla, and not the whole Pasuk, not the whole Parsha, but each, the beginning of each phrase. And that was enough to get the Kohen going. He was jogged by the beginning of each phrase, which of course is interesting by itself because that opens another discussion about recording partial phrases, which is another, but clearly the Gemara feels that's not such an issue. So Lemaisa, again, according to what the Gemara is saying over here, is that Lemaisa, Parsha Soto was not written in its entirety. Instead, what Helen Amalka provided the Kohanim with was what? Was a golden tablet that had the first few words from each Pasuk recorded on it, and that was enough to allow the coin to record the rest from memory. All right, we'll stop over here. I think that tomorrow... Just given the size of the, it's a huge, it's a beautiful daf, by the way. It's Agarata, it's exceptional. Uh, but I, give, I think given the size of the daf, we're going to start the daf tomorrow at 5.45. So there'll be, there'll be no das at tomorrow. We'll just go, we'll do straight daf. Is that an email to that effect? Yeah. Uh, Rebbe, okay. I, I have a question on, there's a Rosh, the Rosh is, um, Rosh it says on the Xotos, it says that the, um, the sun would rise in the east and then the Xotos would be seen on the west side Maharavi. So now, but the Heikau, but the opening of the Heikau was, was on the east of the Beis Amigdash. So, <coughs> right. So, but Rosh says, that, so he says, but he says, grow with the Zad Maharavi. So here. <coughs> oh, okay. So you mean so the menorah would be here. Sun, sunrise is here. Right. Sunrise is here. It's right on the it's right on the opening of the hekal. Shines down right on here. Things come out. Oh, okay. So the people. Okay. So the so we're talking about that the people in Yerushalayim will be looking to 